All right, we are live. Hi everyone, I am really excited to interview Theodore Galanos, senior researcher at AIT. Theodore is pioneering in ACAI development has, and is pushing, I feel it, he's pushing the boundary with his amazing work. And I'm glad to have you back on the show. It has been more than one and a half years. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. Hopefully this time with proper sound uh, on my side. Yeah. So Theodore, uh, can you share some uh, highlights of the projects you did in last two years? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, in terms of in terms of AI and design, like the, the two major things or like the major project has been infrared, which was sort of the, the instigator, at least on, for me, uh, like the reason why I, I went towards AI, uh, mostly to try to, to understand how I can bypass certain issues that performance-based design has, or at least I was facing at my work. So I was trying to do a lot of complex stuff and they just took way too much time, too much stress, too many, you know, too much cost. Or, and at the end had very minimal impact. So I was really disappointed, uh, even though I knew that these studies had very, were really cool, like really important. You could really design around them, but I, I never, I could never do, like the project could never do. So that, that was different. If I was like a question, if we can do this much faster, uh, and and differently, if we can predict it instead of simulate it, and that's infrared. That was it was it was a, sh a shot in the dark in the beginning, uh, but it turned out it worked. So and this is like a, a trend I think in the in the in the stuff I've done the last three years. There's a, there's been a lot of shots in the dark, like some of them work right, but there is also a lot of uh, sort of misses, which is good. Uh, but yeah, if you they usually lead you to something better. So if I worked, like now it's going actually in production, like, you know, it's it's a real tool, it's like a platform. And the thing that I quickly realized with infrared and it was that it was really cool that it worked and it was pretty amazing to do like something that took me like a week, maybe in a second with, with a certain accuracy. But then, you know, the, the first thing I thought of when it was ready was, you know, now what? What can we do? So like, and this is something that I found since then is very common to the most, a lot of like, you know, imaginary AI applications or even like the ones you make work that they're always open, you know, a, a possibility down down the road, like downstream in, in a machine learning parlance. And that's what my infrared uh, did. So the immediately, for example, large scale design exploration on the urban level became possible because you can now predict instead of simulate. So you can do hundreds of thousands of, of iterations, right? So that wasn't there before that, that, that was partly on my, on the work that I, I'm trying to do with quality diversity and sort of like new ways of generative design. And it, and it also, yeah. So that was, that was a performance based run, but then when I also started doing a PhD, right, I, and I just because like, you know, we're all locked down and you have to do like something additional. And I started sort of sketching this, this vision I had for the next couple of decades, what I want to work like, this is a system, how it should be. And it was split into these modules, right? And in fact, it was just one module out of seven or eight that I had. And 
so then I, I started and said, okay, what if I work on another module now? Let's do generator. And I and I started looking into like, you know, game, gaming AI, like procedural content generation, all this stuff. It turned out it was really difficult. Like, uh, like I could do generative design. I could do like random mutation and all this stuff, but it was really difficult to do anything guided, anything like constrained, right? And most of the designs that we did are actually constrained. It's like... Uh, and even though I want to do diverse generation, like I wanted to build diverse, you need to have certain constraints. You need to, 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 to ground it in something, right? So it turned out that from all the system that I had, all these modules, how do you evaluate? How do you learn preferences? How do you generate? How do you predict and visualize? It turned out that none of these were the most difficult. The most difficult was the beginning, which were a couple of very, like they don't say they don't mean anything to anyone but me i call them initiator and encoder it's just a ui so the ui and how do you input constraints as a designer to a tool that does to, to this sort of imaginary end-to-end -end tool and how do you does that translate it into something an algorithm or a model can understand and that was super difficult because essentially we do that in grasshopper every time we make a parametric model but it's only it only works for that specific instance of that model. If you want to add an additional constraint, you probably need to change everything. So, so it's difficult because we have arbitrary constraints in design. And that's when I started looking into, okay, what, what can happen? How can we do that? And that's when Dali came out. So that was the second sort of exploration. You know, it sort of blew my mind when I saw the blog post and a lot of community started developing it. And I, I sort of hit stone for the ride. And everyone was trying to generate everything like Dali does. I was thinking, can I generate something specific, right? It wasn't very interesting to, like we were in a Discord, all community were still there. Like it wasn't that interesting for the crowd at the beginning, what I was doing, because of course no one else was like in architectural design. But then when we ran, people started training models and my first Dali model, it kind of worked. So people were actually started being a bit more interested, like, oh, this creates something, you know? Also because it was a bit easier, like than making, I don't know, ImageNet or any other image, you know, everything came out blurry, but my designs would look like layouts in a way. So Dali was the first thing. And I, I keep calling it the, when I present it, like design with language. So like, that's the idea. And it bypasses this, how do I integrate uh, uh, constraints into this generative uh, method? So you can do it with language because we can describe what we want to happen, right? So that was Dali. And I was really excited because the more data I was creating, the better it became, the architecture matured. Then at the end, it was really like even overfitting. Like, I don't know, I would generate 128 layouts. I don't know, 80 were good semantically, like very... and. But then I realized another problem and that what led me to the current. I think that Dali creates images and while images are very powerful and really, really amazing, very you know, inspiring or all these things, they are kind of useless for the stuff I wanna do in design. Like I wanna do performance-based design, I have to have geometries, I have to have real things, right? And that led to architects. So architects was sort of like me thinking, okay, what if I take the image out completely like because i don't need it i can generate any image or any model i want if i have geometry right that's that came from my domain expertise in in the one we all have in like grasshopper rhino anything like it's super simple if you have like points you make a rectangle right so that's what i thought and then i thought okay 
let's do let's see if i can if we can do i call this like la, uh, language as design now instead of design with language now language is design itself right so then that's what architects does so that was the last the last part that's where i am now architects literally works on the level of language there's nothing that is any anything visual in there everything visual is generated right is processed and it actually works. The amazing part about these three stepping stones is that what they work, like these four stepping stones. And they all sort of come together because now we have this sort of really powerful language models that can be used to embed constraints and you know create like you know very flexible programs. That's how I call these models. They are actually software programs. And we have like you know something like infrared to predict. We know it works, so it can work in other places. And I'm slowly building other stuff. So that's where you find me today. Like the, the next stuff, I think I, I've, I've even presented a few of the next steps, what they would be probably something like, you know, uh, my next step is probably gonna be something like decision transformers or like something that I can generate based on a performance. So that would be like performance driven generative design. I guess I don't know how to call it. Generative models like where you will, you will literally again, instead of asking nicely for three bedrooms and two bathrooms, you can also ask nicely for, you know, three bedrooms, two bathrooms, but performing well in terms of some sort of metric. So that's the idea, that that model will generate based on the reward, on a sort of performance input that you give it to. And of course, the, the more important thing is to do more than layouts. Layouts was really like, it's important. A lot of people do it. And, you know, I really like residential design. That's why I did it. Like, I think you can actually design in houses, but there's so many other problems. And these techniques, they are, I think, ubiquitous like i think that you can use it like as long as you can describe it it will work like in a way uh so yeah that was the biggest uh response to to what you asked but that's that's sort of the introduction the history all right there are so many things to unpack and like you know, uh i'm i'm just uh i just want to know that if let's say someone wants to use architect for their own let's say office design how is the process do they do transfer learning and then provide their own like uh, data set with labels of text and images yeah so obviously this is like super new like literally it's not like what i did was like uh, a world first it was a world first because no one in ai cared about you know making layouts that's why it was uh, but it is kind of new like it is new in the sense that not many people had tried to create structure outputs from language models before. And now there are, like there are people that are much better than me in AI who maybe have taken, you know, have seen these layouts and say, you know, that's cool. Maybe I try it with my thing. So, so it's really early. That's what I'm trying to say. And everything is still up in the air. Like you can generate, like the, the simplest thing that I can say, and that's what I've that's what I've been I've been describing architects is that you know you just describe what you want to have. That's that's all it is. That's all what the data is, right? And I think I haven't done it. I suppose that you can do it for anything. Like it can be an office, it can be a floor plan, maybe it can be like a neighborhood, right? Anything that you can describe in a way that one the the model can learn and generate. And two, you can use after like to create some geometry, right? Because again, there is no geometry, there is no images created here. So as long as you can you can find a representation that is flexible, easy to learn for the model, or like powerful enough to learn for the model, 
and then you can use it to create designs, then that's okay. That's that's how that's all you need to do. There is no labels. Like of course there are labels, but they are not labels. It's not classification anymore. It's generative model. So they are just annotations in a way. So this is all, all you have to do. It's like you just annotate what you want to make, right? And the model learns. For transfer learning, fresh learning, all this stuff are unknown. This is the experiments I'm doing now. Like right now, for example, I'm doing a scaling experiment. Like I think I'm 160 models in out of 240 that I want to train. And all of these are from scratch, just, just because the scaling experiment is, is that. But um, I don't know which one is better. But also, there are many other techniques, like every other week things come out, right? So there are, there are techniques that you can use, for example, to do to add tasks to the model. So, this is, so in language modeling, all these models, when like GPT-3, right, is a, is a good model, but by itself is not, is not like so good. Like, but if you prompt it nicely, right, if you do nice engineering, uh, it works really good. Like it, it increases the performance like a lot. The same for these models. Like when you fine tune them, they are good, but you can also do other tricks. So there are tricks like how can you add a new task? So for example, if you have a model that creates layouts, can you take that model, add a few parameters and have it add windows on those layouts or furniture and, and all this stuff. So these are the stuff I'm looking about. Like there is there is a lot a lot of things, but all all are open in a way. Like I open a personal for me, but I hope others others join eventually. Uh, research uh, field, like for me, literally, because no one else is doing it on our domain again. Because you know, obviously, a lot of other people, much better in sort of NLP and AI than me, are doing it in their own domain, but they they. They don't know about design. There, are, there are a few papers like you know, I think there. What was that paper like? Actually, the title is really, really close. Let me open it now. I have it. It's really close, and you think like, oh, they did it before, but it's not exactly that. I do think. It, I don't know if it was DeepMind. And I have like a folder with AC papers. There are like four of them out of the thousand. So yeah, it's what is it? Uh, it, it oh, it's not Patchcat. No, it's not that. It's not here. Uh, it was something like something about CAD and language, like the language of CAD, CAD and language. I forget. Like, but it wasn't like they they did something like that. They started like I think that's the that's what they had. They had all these millions of CAD drawings, like literal engineering drawings, right? Not architectural. And they described them, but but they didn't describe them in language. They just tried to learn like geometry, right? So it was kind of like close to that. So yeah, like, but the, that's the simple thing that I can say. You just take a language model like that knows to create language and you fine tune it to create what you want. It's really parallel to what everyone else is doing or many other domains. Yeah, I don't know if, that, if that's clear. And yeah, like... I, I just wanted to clarify that if I want to make like similar architects model, do I need like for, let's say for an office, do I need like set of office images and like uh, text labels where, okay, these are like four office rooms, two kitchens, or like, do so, I need like additional labels inside that image that this is office, this is kitchen? Yeah. So, so yeah, if what you described is Dali. So for Dali, you would need something like that. Yeah. You need some images and some annotations. And, and something that you want to do. So architects, no, you just need annotation. You just need text. Yeah, you don't need images at all. Oh, 
Uh, okay, that so it is, works. Uh, that's why that's why the the difference of design with language, right? You create with Dali, you give it some prompt and you create some image or some artifact, and that's you know I, it's wordplay, but it, it has a meaning. And language as design is architect, so it's really at, at the level of language that the design happens, and not at all at the level of images or or vision. Yeah. I see. So, like, how does the model learn? about like i'm like, so i have seen multimodal models so with architects like if if it it has is with just language no training like okay you did training so the training determines like in training determines the output yeah you find unity yeah, of course there is training yeah so you take uh, the model either fresh or like pre-trained on a lot a lot of data and then you find unit on what you want to generate again it's like is is actually super simple. Like I, I'm very, I'm very honest. And maybe this is not is bad marketing in a way, right? Uh, <laughs> but it's really simple in a way. Like after you make it work, it's really simple. What what's going on? Yeah, it's just you know you just ask it nicely to create layouts and it does it. That's it. Like that's how language models are. They are, and and it's much easier nowadays because there are so many frameworks and so many like open source models and all this. That's why it's really. That's why NLP has this huge potential, I think, for every industry, including the AC. Because, like, you know, you can you can get this model pre-trained on, like, I don't know, the largest data set out there. Just download it and play with it, fine-tune it. So, yeah. So that that's that's how it works. That's how it works. And I, I, I do think that, you know, you can replicate that in whatever else thing you want. Uh, you can, you know, as long as you create data or find data. Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, may I ask a question, please? Yeah, no problem. Go ahead. Thank you for introducing to Architects, Theodore. It sounds pretty cool. And I also tried to experiment with it. It looks great. Mm. And I had a question with uh, translation of the semantics to the building elements. Uh, mm. How do you translate or convert from the semantics, the inputs that you say, the space program, for example, a living room or a bedroom, to building elements like walls, beams, I mean, in terms of data structure and storage, are then these walls and building elements assigned to rooms or the room and space no. label is not relevant? After you have the layout, then you don't care what the... So no, no. Uh, so the, it's very important, I think, to like reduce complexity in this stuff. Like AI is not, is not for everything, right? I Like literally everything I do, almost every, everything I, I work on right now is about AI and yet, you will hear me say that AI is for very specific things. You shouldn't use it everywhere, you know? Shouldn't put the label everywhere. So like when you go into these elements and construction stuff and how they relate the networks and where are these, is it the wall and is the window on this wall? Like all these are like, you know, at the beam level, right? Some Somewhere else that it doesn't really matter. And it's too complex for generation. It might be okay to do some machine learning there and, you know, graphs or whatever, but for this thing, you want to stay on the simple, you know, what do you want to create, right? So when you're creating a layout, you have very simple geometries. This is what you have, right? All the rest come afterwards because we can create walls. I can make windows if I want, right? Like if I want right now, for example, architects can be a performance-driven thing without AI. Because again, you don't need AI everywhere. I can have architects, right? You can generate a JSON, like a Honeybee JSON. I can send it to pollination. You know, you can put random windows and you can have like a 
text to you know daylight autonomy in houses and stuff very easily but that complexity happens happens elsewhere like you don't need you you don't want to put all that complexity in the mm-hmm. initial model at least and at least my intuition and maybe maybe it's not i don't know how it's going to go is that all this will be a hierarchical way of doing mm-hmm. things like you know you have something that generates structure then you have something either the same you know, same model with an adapter or something, or mm-hmm. a new model mm-hmm. that creates windows, then another model that creates furniture, then there is a mm-hmm. process to, to to relate all this, you know, like according to these windows, daylight autonomy would be, was predicted better here, so maybe the bed goes there. So like all this can happen hierarchically, mm-hmm. but not in the generation. The generation has to be simple, I think, because you're, yeah. you're already doing something really complex. You're going from language to, to design. So you just want to stick to like simple geometries, right? That you can mm-hmm. manipulate. Yeah, very reasonable, true. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my next question is: So we have seen uh, your experiments in multi-model space and yeah. uh, GAN space. So I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on like reinforcement learning and meta le- meta learning for AC? Mm-hmm. Reinforcement learning is I don't know, like, it's difficult, like, there, it has a lot of problems, right? Essentially, the only, the only people actually making, actually having reinforcement learning work right now is, is DeepMind, right? No one else does it. Like, everyone else can, I mean, there are a few labs that do it, but, like, I, I'm an observer, I'm not an expert, but most of the stuff, sort of fail, like outside of their random seed or, you know, their specific experiment, it doesn't work. It doesn't generalize, you know. In architecture, the the experiments I've seen, I haven't seen a tool. I don't know if there is a tool. Like maybe there is and I missed it. The experiments I've seen, they just use RL as an optimizer. So it's not really RL. It's not, there's no world model, you know, learning how to behave and all this stuff, right? It's just something that has a reinforcement learning loop to optimize a layout. Okay. But that's, you can do that with Galapagos as well. You don't need RL, you know, in a way. Um, so, so yeah, I think I think it has issues. Like I think it's it's it has a big potential in certain things, right? Like there is very interesting uh, reinforcement learning with human preferences that I think fits with design. There is a very famous, very nice paper by OpenAI, I think, in like again language models. They do like summarization with reinforcement learning and human signals so preferences they say this is good or bad right so something like that has a place in design because we we always do inference or our design so this is nice maybe not right uh, but i think i think that is yeah i i don't know i it would be something i would do towards the end i i really believe much more the, this decision transformer thing which was this upside down rl so instead of trying to learn all these model dynamics and states and whatever like to to have something that at the end gives you a good reward Instead of all that noise, and it's really noisy, you just say, what if I give you the reward I want? And you figure out a design that satisfies it, right? So that's decision transformer. That sort of RL, I'm behind. I, I think I think it has potential. The only reason I haven't done it is because I hadn't had the time to experiment, but it, it's on the, on the roadmap, uh, I hope very soon. So that one, I, I believe would be... Like the other RL, I think has potential again, because again, it does work. Like if you see DeepMind, right? It works. Of course, DeepMind is a collection of, you know, very good researchers and probably the best engineers as well, because it matters. Like their papers are very engineered, right? 
the RL papers that if you see alpha star or all the stuff like all the Dota 2, what was it? Yeah, all the stuff. Like it's super engineered models, like everything is in place, right? Uh, that type of RL, I think, has space in architecture, but not in the way like we're discussing now. Let's make a layout or let's generate urban designs, but mostly when you go to the occupant, which is eventually I want to reach there, maybe like in 10, 10 years or five years, I don't know when, but eventually that system, that end-to-end -end system that generates stuff has to have like occupant preferences inside or the understanding of the occupant. And there you can do it. Like you can have like sort of behavioral design. Maybe you can create even like, and all these are very old. They're not really new. Maybe you have agents that have certain behaviors, right? And if you do have a very powerful generator, something like architects, if you do have something that can predict results very fast, something like infrared, then you can imagine adding behavioral stuff inside because it's tractable. You can, you can actually do it fast and on a diverse design. So that type of RL, this sort of agent-based, multi-agent-based stuff like that, yeah, maybe it has a space, um, hopefully. But the other style RL, like, you know, let's just run an RL loop to optimize. I, I, I don't know if it has value. Like, you, you're much better off doing, like, you know, normal stuff, different things. And, like, any thoughts on meta-learning, like, learning to learn, like, mm. models? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's super hard. I don't know if it works. I don't know. Like, are, I'm not an expert in this at, at all. Like, the only work I've seen that, that seemed like, uh, that seemed like he has promise was, like, I think it's Jeff Kloon is, is the guy with Ken Stanley in OpenAI. And they had this, was it? I don't know. It wasn't, I don't think they did Mumble. Mumble is a different one, but they had this, like, learning to learn. But it was, it's it's really difficult, right? And all, everything was toy toy stuff, right? But their idea was something like Poet. Like, something like Poet I like, even for design. Like, I think Poet, uh, this is the, the enhanced Poet, like, something trailblazer. I forget the name, what it means now. Uh, let me find just a... Just what the poet exactly means. Like that one, uh, pair ended, oh, pair, yeah, okay, paired open ended trailblazer. So in poet, what they did, like it's an RL, right? But it's really cool because it actually, it's not just training an engine to do something, it also changes the environment all the time. So the environment becomes harder and harder and harder and harder. And the agent, you know, learns a diverse, really diverse mix, open ended mix of behaviors. And I think they had a, something related to that, like, meta-learning thing where the model had to continuously like learn new, new stuff as a meta-learning. Like, I don't know. I think I think it's it's good, but it's a bit above me, I would say. And very, you know, quite, quite far to the many, many steps I have until then. But something like Poet, like uh, if we go back to RL, I think is really cool. Like I'm very, like, uh, like open-ended stuff is very central to what I want to do. So there needs to be diversity and like this is symptom of you know working grasshopper for so many years like there need, it needs to be much more open so something like that would be nice so imagine for example again you have something like architects and you can prompt it continuously with with semantic annotations that increase in difficulty right what you're describing you make it more and more and more complex it generates stuff and then you have another agent that goes in there and does something and that's really cool. That's really cool. Uh, because Poet was doing in this 2D walking environment, right? 
But imagine if you do it in this generative model and then there is feedback between the two. Yeah, okay. So that stuff are really cool if, you, if someone has time for a PhD. Hey, Theo. Um, mm. Sorry, man, I just had a quick question because um, you mentioned like something really interesting and this is, I do like the idea of like open-endedness RL and it seems like there's been more exploration now in that. Um, and uh, David Ha, like the guy that wrote the poet paper, uh, he's been developing like other kind of interesting work around this idea. And and I, I was just wondering, because like I seen like it, even in like, uh, I guess the video game industry where you have now procedural generations and they're applying like reinforcement learning to like kind of test like uh, how hard a level is and they'll run like an agent, uh, I guess they'll, they'll run an agent that creates like the level and then they'll run an agent to test like how hard the level is and it just keeps yeah. getting, uh, what's called, I guess, kind of like an actor critic, right? And the harder the game gets, maybe like the agent has to learn more, or they decrease the, the, the strength of the level. Um, mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you thought like, I guess maybe if this is kind of like, would be like an interesting application to actually this design layouts or or is it kind of like not there yet? Because it seems like the video game industry is exploring this. Maybe they have a little bit more uh, leniency since they don't have to be kind of so uh, like specific in dimensions or things of that nature that we consider in like architecture. Um, so I, yeah, I'm just curious about your thoughts. Yeah, so yeah, uh, so yeah, for sure, I mean, I do think it has a role. Like I do think that can be used in architecture, and I, I also don't don't necessarily think that we need to be very strict at all uh, during these phases, like conceptual design. And for sure, like I realize, I do think even like again the DeepMind paper, I think it was DeepMind, right? In like chip design with RL, right? Again, it shows that you know in this really complex combinatorial problems, like you know you can really do something cool with it. So I do think it has a it has a role, but I, I I like you said I see it much more impactful in those sort of environments where there is a sort of co-adaptation between something like the RL is not just you know a loop that optimizes, but it's something that co-adapts an agent and a design. I I do think yeah it has, and I agree that the gaming community is is better. You know, funnily enough, I think there are better in, in 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 PCG in what we do in parametric design. That's why I I I went for a PhD in a gaming AI lab initially because I thought you know PCG is really cool. They know how to do. Uh, I I diverse diverse the bit after, but that was the initial idea. And and yeah, they they do like they they have the the ability to do like more tests like. The, the the big advantage of gaming, I think, is that it, it's it it has its own like environment of experience. Like you can actually, you know, play test, like you said, stuff inside the game. So if you have a game, you can already play test. But how do you do that in architecture? Like what is the environment? You know, like uh, so the, it doesn't really exist. Like maybe you could put something together in the Rhino. Right? So I don't know. It's not very efficient to do it. So, so yeah, the things that I like in RL, I guess now I remember the new one is this co-adaptation where the environment, maybe you co-create it, right? Your model is there, <laughs> there is an environment or this world models that's coming out. Like, I really like that as well. And where, you know, you have a model that is its own, the environment of experience. And you can just ask it nicely again. It's not a language model, but you can ask it, like, give me a state, give me an, and then it gives you like, okay, here's the design and the windows and I don't know, whatever you care about. And it's a state, like uh, start and do something from here, you know, like something like that. 
so those two things are cool. And I think the second you can do again with a decision transformer. Uh, so like, yeah, I'm not sure it's a hypothesis. Like maybe you can train a model only on, like imagine you would train a model only on actions. Uh, no, <clears throat> only, only on state. So imagine if it was chess, right? You just train a model on all the chess pawns, like on million different positions. That's it. With no, you know, with maybe a reward or something classification, but that's it. No, no, there's no playing, just positions. And then you have a world model of chess in a way. That's what I'm thinking. So I'm thinking maybe you can create a world model like that of design. So what are states in design? There are different designs, right? You, you can give them a reward. So something like that might be interesting. Uh, in a way, like, like I was saying before in Decision Transformer, you know, you give it a reward, it gives you a design. What if you give it a reward and give you gives you a design state in a way, like which is a bit more. Uh, so that, those are cool stuff. So those two things, I think, have space. Uh, something like pot and something like world models, and yeah. And I guess, like to add on top of that, do you think since like a lot of I guess the current let's say like models that we can apply to architecture, they're mostly based on two D, uh, I guess images and things like that, and and that might be an issue I guess with the amount of size that it would take to compute like you know three D stuff. Um, but do you think I guess like speaking a little bit more speculative that if we get to the point where we're able to compute like three D stuff a little bit better. Uh, that it makes more sense to like go straight into that instead of using 2D stuff to like uh, really use it in architecture and like in world making or is, or is maybe mm, I mean, yeah, yes or no. Like I think 3D is a distraction right now. It's definitely like once you like, you know, if I were what I'm doing with architects, if I was doing a 3D it would be like a terrible mess like, and there's no reason, right? You can mm -hmm. always extrude the geometry like we have the domain expertise to do like a lot of people I think might work on 3D sometimes because you know maybe they don't know how to go from 2D to 3D I don't know but yeah the 3D domain is like the, the research is incredible like things are coming out right there are like models that that have really good representations of 3D space there are 3D 3D world models as well right They're like you see like the drive gun and all this stuff so so it's possible but I think once you go there you change, I think there is, like you change the task. So like, I wouldn't do like, you know, not everything, most of the environment performance-based stuff, for example, on 3D, the, you don't really care. But some, yes, if you say like glare, for example, right? You don't have a grid anymore, you want glare. But still, if you go to 3D, I think you need to expand much more. You need to have like, I don't know, maybe your, your model has a representation of the 3D space. And then if you connect again with occupants, very important. And the occupants tell you, yeah, this view is very nice. This room feels good. This room feels terrible. You can start sort, sort of aligning, you know, how occupants feel like in the building with this 3D representation, which is much richer than a 2D, right? So mm -hmm. that, that might be good because there you have textures, you have light, you have... So something. So I think once you go to 3D, I would only do it if my task changed, my design task changed, not just to have a 3D and look. Because architects, for example, is already 3D. You can be, you know, as 3D as he wants. It's just geometry, right? You just. So I, if you go to train in 3, on 3D right now, I would do it. Yeah, I would expand on the tasks if that makes sense. Yeah. For example, an idea I have that I never, I never, I never did is like affect-driven design. So like 
Like you can maybe do experimental. There's no other way. Like you know, sensors and everything, and you calculate occupant effect, which literally, like as they as they move through space, either virtual or real, you get responses, right? And then if you have an, a world model of those type of spaces, you know, you can sort of train it. You know, okay, these are the pairs, right? This space has this affective reward. This space, this affective reward. And then again, it becomes a, a world model of effect, architectural model. So then you can say afterwards, okay, give me a state with this effect, and then it creates something. You know, so so that's interesting, right? But mm-hmm. but you don't need that for daylight or energy or you know or connectivity or you know this this kind of stuff. That are also important. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, so I guess it would depend on what exactly you want to, in a way, optimize, right? Like that's I think that's kind of. Yeah, what, what do you want what to, to explore? Yeah. yeah, what do you want to explore? Gotcha. Thank you. Cool. Uh, yeah, since uh, we are on the gaming and PCG uh, discussion, so I saw you uh, attended summer school for gaming oh, yeah. AI. So, wanted to know your thoughts like, what are some uh, highlights from that uh, school and some trends in gaming AI? Yeah, I mean, Highlight. I mean, the trends in. I'm not. I'm not of that domain. So, like, all these trends are probably going to be not the best. But, uh, like, from presentations I've seen so far, I think they. It's the same issue, just a bit more mature than we have in design, right? They. They actually know that they don't have to use AI for everything, right? And even like the game, the game, the actual games AI is not like AI, right? It's, there's a lot of rule-based stuff, or like this old-fashioned ego, you know, old-fashioned AI. So, but most of it from what I see is about content right now, because that's what makes money. And, you know, it is very tempting to do that in, in design as well. And people, in a way, are doing it in artistic design right now. There are, you know, millions and millions of NFTs and stuff like that. But it's very tempting to also just do it in design. Like, okay, it's very difficult to design. Like, it's actually difficult to design sometimes, right? It's uh, or it's difficult to, you know, to to imagine and stuff. So if you have this this sort of content generators, it would be good. So this is what I see a lot. And you know, the other thing that you said is I've seen a bit play testing, like you know, because that's also a lot of cost, like. The gaming industry is a lot, you know, it's very costly. Like all these games cost a lot of money. So, so that's why I think they focus there. And I, I'm, and I wonder like if that would, the same would happen in the AC because, you know, the, our projects cost a lot of money and the margins are very low and stuff like that. So yeah, the other thing might be playtesting. I've seen some trends about trying to understand how users behave and what you know how they like the game from that so there is a lot of behavioral stuff in AI and AI there is some AI work there again or sort of like effect like you know from footage you know try to understand like you know how the players feel and what do we need to prove so that again would be really cool in architecture this goes back to what I was saying like if you have something that had effect you know how people feel like you know, like this is that's the dream right because if you could reach there you don't need daylight autonomy you don't need like you know you don't need all this money you just have directly how the occupant feels in a way and so that's what i see in gaming uh, gaming in relation to to the ac is really, i mean the relationship is really close like just we can just borrow all the pcg stuff right and they do really cool stuff 
even their software is better. Like even Houdini, I think is better. But anyways, like they are they're a bit more ahead. It's just that they, you know, like there's not a lot of connection. I mean, there is some connection, like, you know, we do a lot of VR, you know, and that's gaming, I don't know, and AR. Uh, but there is not a lot of connection with PCG, which is, yeah, maybe that'll be better than AI. I see. And so one of the challenges uh, I, I see in like ACI development is like open source models and the data sharing and formatting. So what do you think uh, would be an important data format in order for future ACI developments? And I, I mean by like from Revit Rhino, like object data, metadata, and what what do you think uh, would be important? The format? Uh, yeah, like language. Language. Uh, that's the format you need, just text. Yeah. So literal language, yeah. Uh, like for me, like again, when you go to like actual import export and all these files, like you know, Revit file and Rhino, it's already past the point where I want to do AI personally, right? Uh, I want to do AI at the concept design phase. Like that's what I want to do, and I want to do it not just to to do concept design, you know, with AI just because it's cool, but because I want to change how we do concept design, like. Everything like that system I was explaining with the modular stuff, it's supposed to run at scale. That's 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 my goal. So like every time you want to design a house, you don't do a parameter with a hundred, you have a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand pre pre-calculated, and you can search in there. So so that's I think the scale, like it needs to be at scale. But yeah, everything else, like all the detailed stuff, okay, like which format and how, which softwares we use, like all this I think is after after AI, or at least at that level you should use, I think is much better to use like ML stuff, right? In the sense like, you know, you have a lot of data, you can do classification, you can do like clustering, similarities, right? Retrieval, all the stuff you can do after that complexity. But before that complexity, I think language is enough. That's it, like text is enough. and. So like a lot of the things that we need to do today, like I've talked a lot about how we need to create like data generation processes and data pre-processing and storage and retrieval and all this stuff, right? We need to do it, but uh, I would definitely consider one do that to add the semantic aspect, like the language there. Cause you can see it like, if you like, if you like just, just follow the, the papers that are coming out, you can see how it's not just multimodal papers everywhere, right? Like, uh, multimodal for video, multimodal for text, multimodal for object detection, is that everywhere that you just add language, at every task they just added the language. Like, oh, look, we just put some text there and an encoder next to what we literally to the same model we had before, and it's now state of the art. It makes everything like, it supercharges everything, you know, because it's so rich. So I would suggest to all designers to just, you know, keep, or create in parallel annotations, right? Create language. Like if you're doing a grasshopper parametric file, design it in a way that exports language somehow, something about your designs. It has to be at that point. If you do it after, like it's not gonna work. And so yeah, that's for me the, the format. AI will work at the concept level, right? Uh, at least for, for the next five, 10 years. 
of course, like you want images. If you can have images, it's really cool. Like I'm not, I'm not abandoning Dali, for example, at all. I will go after, I will go again to do a Dali now, for example, because I have like 3 million layouts instead. Like I keep generating layouts from the models. That's the other cool thing. If you have a nice model, you can just prompt it and generate, you know, random layouts. And so images are okay. Like all these, all the modalities are, are cool. Like you can add stuff. But text is, I think, the most important. And we are lucky because a lot of, even like if you are at the complexity of Revit and Rhino or Beam, you know, Beam files, you are lucky because everything is text there in a way, right? And maybe you won't be using like language models like the ones I'm using, like autoregressive stuff. Maybe you do like some sort of graph, graph model, or maybe you do like some sequence model, you know, like, but still, text you can use that text for that yeah so in my opinion the most important will be language yeah. and the other modalities will follow yeah. yeah so like just to clarify on that let's say i have a office revit or like any bim model the, by by text you mean okay this office has this many rooms this many area with this many square feet like that kind of simple text yeah, or like more everything. granular yeah, everything. Oh, as granular as we want. Like, of course, I don't know what will work. I haven't, like, again, this is like brand new research field for me. And in fact, it's probably for everyone because simply because I haven't found anyone else to like, yeah, like, just say, okay, what happened? How, how did your experiment go? I haven't found, right? So it's brand new. And yeah, maybe it can work. Like for me, I would just download the whole the whole Revit metadata, whatever is there. And then I will try and test, okay, what can I use from here? It's really, that's the cool thing that it's no longer like, it sounds bad, but it's really cool. It's no longer like pure AI research, right? It's not, why? Because I've said this in other presentations, all these models are going to become simpler and simpler. That's the cool thing. Large scale, simple architecture. What is the architecture? You have a bunch of text and you go one letter at a time and you predict the next, that's it, right? And you have off-the-shelf pre-trained models, perfect libraries with two, li two lines of code, you don't need any of that. So what remains? The domain knowledge, right? So what can I do with that? The, the thing that will remain in these AI applications is designers sitting in their, in their screen, right? On the, looking at the screen and looking at this data and trying to think, imagine new ways of using, of using it, right? And I haven't imagined all of them. I have imagined a couple of them. Very, and I, I cannot imagine all of them. But that's that's the cool thing about it. Like all these AI applications will not be about, oh, look at this new architecture that I made, right? And they shouldn't be. Of course, if someone does it, very cool, I will upload. And it is amazing. But I don't think I would ever sort of spend my time there because it's not the best use of my time. There are other AI researchers that can do it much better and actually want to do it. So the best use of our time is this, and I, I do think like, yeah, that's a really cool part of all this, that it's all about your domain. So yeah, I would download the, the whole metadata, look at it, and then ask for different tasks, right? So the civil engineer will say, you know, this is important. Maybe this, yeah, this thing here, uh, this relationship, excuse me, is very good and all this stuff. Like an architect might say, you know, I don't care about this stuff, just keep this. But, you know, so the same data, that's why it's, it's so rich language, you can shape it and mold it in for different tasks, right? And that's how this future is gonna be, I think. If if it if it takes off, which I hope, of this like language as design, it will be like a lot of like, you know, different tasks, narrow like parallel tasks, where you know the, the only difference will be like, okay, the same data sliced in a different way, according to my expertise, fed in the model, right? And creating something else. 
So that's 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 how I see it. And I don't know how it works. I'm honest. Maybe it doesn't work, right? Maybe all of it. Maybe you pass the whole metadata like line by line and the model, I don't know. Uh, I, I doubt it. It should be a bit smarter. Um, and there are other cool things. For example, there are knowledge graphs we can use, stuff that are decades old, right? Uh, graphs like, again, the beam is all relational data, right? Cool. So you can use it. Because it's not all about generating. You can use it for other stuff, yeah. So, for example, you know, maybe you want to repair your beam models, right? You could do it uh, if you have models that understand relationships, yeah. So, yeah, that's, I don't know. I keep drifting off the question, but that was... Hey, I had another uh, just quick question. Uh, so recently, I think the a paper came out where they were able to um, control a robotic arm using uh, I get language. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. clipboard. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was kind of yeah. interesting. I mean, I that was kind of like one of the first uses where I saw, oh, like maybe clip can now be translated into other domains and actually be yeah. useful just besides like generating stuff. Um, and that might be kind of like the way we're like within the next year or two, we're just going to see uh, people just kind of writing papers and developing all types of applications just kind of based on this same approach. Um, I was just curious, like what your thoughts are about that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Clipboard is amazing. Like I think I mentioned in a, in a LinkedIn post of someone like, you know, like it's amazing because it's, again, it's the semantic revolution I keep shouting about. Uh, yeah, you just ask it nicely and it happens. So like clip is obviously like amazing, is really powerful and everything. But even if you take clip away, like the, the main point of that paper is that, you know, here's some, here's a task that we've been trying to solve for a while, right? And it's difficult. Mm -hmm. And to solve it, we gave all these images and handcrafted stuff and, you know, the, the degrees of freedom. And here the same thing. And I just added the semantic annotation of what I wanted to do. And oh, it suddenly learns better, you know, like... Then, and that's it. Yeah. So that's what I mean. Yeah, definitely clipboard can be used. I think it would be like, I would like, again, I, if I can clone myself, right? I could do it. Like if I was younger, maybe I would do a robotic fabrication with, with semantic uh, guidance, right? Because you can see it there. It's right there. It's ready in a way. Um, or like manufacturing, I'm, I'm guessing. So like, but all this, this is what I was saying. All this, you add the language, uh, modality and it suddenly becomes richer because all the other stuff they are not really new like the only new thing they are doing is okay we have another modality how do we bring it together maybe like you know do we do like anything contrastive like is there like a cross attention like it is not it, all the rest are the same it's just like oh i added language and suddenly it took off you know yeah and yeah i, I really think clipboard is amazing like i hope to do it in the in the next uh uh, design intelligence reading group if I can uh, it's not my domain so I will I will fumble a bit but I think it's amazing it's just an example of how this can be used in AC because AC is much more than layouts and designs right it's also construction fabrication all this stuff yeah so they they, they were using uh imitation learning which is kind of interesting because then now you can apply some sort of uh metric whether you like this or not right and then combine it with clip directly and then yeah. you can, I, I think that was, uh, me and May were talking about this the other day, where like you can actually kind of apply maybe that to generate like a 3D model in Rhino somehow, where you can have somebody, I guess, record the actions and then uh, provide the semantic uh, mm -hmm. text to it and then generate something out of it based on uh, yeah. language. You could, but it would be a really weird roundabout way to generate designs, I guess, but it would be cool to see, like, you know. Yeah. 
ask, ask a robot to make it, you know, you can generate it directly, I guess, without the robot. But, but yeah, it would be cool. And I think it has potential. And I, I want to see it in actual tasks. In, if, you can, if you can train train it to do like tasks we need, in a way, like, you know, can you build this wall? You know, can you do this mm-hmm. stuff? Like, uh, and yeah, the imitation learning, I would take it out personally. I'm saying this as, as the, the non-expert I am. <laughs> Uh, I would do decision transformer again, uh, but yeah, that, because it's it's simpler. It's just simpler. Like uh, you just yeah, you have all the sequences. I I would imagine what I what I would do. Yeah, maybe all the sequences, maybe a text, and then you bring them together. I don't know. It's it's really amazing. No, it's really like and the cool thing is that you can understand it in the sense that you don't need to be an AI researcher to understand what they're doing. It's just like, oh, okay, they have this system with robotics and they're also using like, you know, literally telling it what it has to do and it learns better. You know, like it's, it's really amazing. Like, mm-hmm. So like, I wanted to know your thoughts on like uh, uh, two ideas. Uh, I, I think Daniel and I discussed about this. So one is like, is it possible to create like BIM uh, AI assistant tool. So I, uh, this is like inspired yeah. from like AlphaGo, like how if I move a wall, can it de- take, okay, this is the impact on the sustainability performance, like uh, carbon footprint. Yeah, I mean, you can, it depends what you want the assistant to do. Like the things that I think you mentioned, you don't really need AI again. Again, I'm, I'm trying to resist the AI everywhere, right? Uh, there are two things I don't like. I don't like AI everywhere. And I don't like AI vague in a way. Like, so you can say I have, you know, AI here. And by AI, I mean, this, you know, like I'm very, I'm very particular with this. So like, I think those stuff, you can do it as an assistant in a way like, like Lippy, you know, like, you know, you move the column, some calculation behind, and this is the impact, right? But yeah, it depends what you want your assistant to be. I, I do think of a design assistant, Partly, this model, this end-to-end application that I am imagining in the future, it's also partly design assistant, but not, not like, you know, there is a voice telling you, oh, maybe you should try to do this, right? I, somewhere, we need to design new interfaces that don't exist. I don't know, right? I, I, I imagine that as a design assistant in two ways. Like, first, as I said, you work in very large-scale stuff, and it has a way to visualize, communicate what happens there. So like, for example, even in BIM, if you move something, right, instead of just saying the direct impact, you could say like, okay, here's where you position your model now by changing this this thing in the vector space of all these other models that we've ever made, right? And this is how close it is, right? And then maybe you stop playing with columns and you go there, you say, oh, okay. And what's the closest model to that direction? What is that direction? Is cost, right? And what's, you know, maybe you start working like that in literally like, you know, it sounds like weird, but I, I've been thinking that it might be like almost like Jarvis and, and Iron Man, you know, like I know like it's all fancy, fancy, like silly stuff that you don't need. But this idea of like, you know, looking at networks, right? Um, but yeah, so it depends what you want to start with, like probably like I would I would say like this designer designer preference is good. So like have the system learn from you, right? So that it can assist you in a way to initiate stuff or guide you towards what, you know, you have shown that you need, right? Of course, with a way to bypass that. And the other is design space thing. And uh, the other assistance, like, I think we can already have, but I think that the reason we don't 
do it is because that's too noisy perhaps right if you if every time you do something right so maybe on the direct feedback the intelligent aspect of that could be when to, to tell you something right you can do it rule-based you can say okay only highlight something if i change this much right but it could also be intelligent in a way so that maybe that's something like where you know the assistant only Highlight something that only when it matters, you know, and not all the time. I don't know if that's something. Yeah. I see. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. Like it, like it's like you could have an assistant who do, who can say something, but also like maybe instead of changing, it can trigger warning. Okay, the next step might cause this implications. So just give yeah. that thought. So, and and the second uh, thing I I wanted to know your thoughts on like using, uh, like. NLP for uh, coding, like, so mm. I, the idea uh, I had was how we can use it for like to connect it with the Rhino geometry or Rivet geometry and say, okay, make a cube of this dimension and like morph it like those commands. Yeah, I think I think I really like Codex. Uh, I really like it because it's it's really cool. It's also a bit ironic because the last like how many years, maybe five years, I don't know, 10, like everyone has been saying how, you know, you need to be a coder, right? You can't be an architect if you're not a coder. It turns out, you know, you don't need to be a coder because coders will come out and just you will just ask it nicely again. Hi, I'd like this and do this and then it gives you the code. Of course, you still need to be a coder. You need to understand all these systems, right? But I, I hope that this, these models, you know, uh, if they don't end up like, you know, the killing us all or whatever like i hope they they sort of like bypass all the need to be like a developer or whatever a full stack developer architect you know like i think that's that's a bit a bit too much noise like in front of what you are actually supposed to do like i think the reason why it's so pro yeah i don't know like i don't want to, to say it's bad it's very because a lot of the things that i do i cannot deploy so i really need someone that can do that right I'm not like a front-end or a back-end engineer, right? No, I'm not full stack at all, but I don't understand why designers have to be that, right? You know, you can find some back-end engineer that, you know, is actually... So I think the reason why it's become popular is because of the way we design and we do projects, you know? It sort of goes, okay, uh, I want to do this faster and chop it down like that. and make... So like, you know, maybe if I'm a full stack, you know, I can help the projects go like that. But we don't need help there, I think. We need help in actual design in sort of like inspiration, intuition, perform all this stuff. And that that's not about backend and full stack. I again traversed away from the question, but I'm going back to the question, I hope. And yeah, so so I'm really excited about the code. I think there are a few things that you could do. I, I saw some examples of people making like Revit code or Rhino code, right? Of course, it's not going to be perfect, mostly because, you know, I doubt we have a lot of code like that out there. Like, Maybe, is there like, I don't know, maybe a couple of GitHub, like, I don't know where they can find Rhino code or Revit code. I guess Dynamo has more. Um, so, yeah. And the other thing that you could do is create programs, you know, that help you around design. So it doesn't need to be Revit or Rhino or anything code. It can be like, you know, think of something you would like to do, right? So maybe you can tell something like Codex, you know, I have this design and I would like to create this algorithm that does this on top of this, on top of this data representation. And then it tries you the, the program, you know? That would be really cool. In a way, like, 
no longer needing something like Dynamo Grasshopper. And I love Grasshopper. This is where I, I did most of my work. But no longer needing it, needing it would be amazing if you could just do it on, on, the, on the level of code or algorithm, right? Create something that I, a small container I need right now for this project, right? And flexibly. That would be nice. The other thing I wonder if it works, I don't know how it does with XML. Because like one project that I never took off, probably because I had no data, was this idea of generating Grasshopper files. And the cool thing is Grasshopper files that are just XML underneath, like you can right click and save, I think, or something like that. So like maybe, I don't know how it does with XML. I don't know at all, but maybe you could do something there. Uh, yeah, that last one is probably not a good idea. Although the, that, that representation is interesting. Like if someone has like tens of thousands of Grasshopper files, they can, you know, let me know. And I think you can do some cool stuff with that, with the representation behind it. Because if I remember correctly, when I looked, they have relationships. Like you can literally see in the XML, you can, you can see this component, the name, the connection to it, you know, and all this stuff. So you could do something, you know, even with language models, yeah. But yeah, Codex super, super nice, mostly because I think it changes this future of design. I think not for just design. I think it changed like all these AI tools that are, they are incredible, right? They are not AGI, but they are incredible. And I think they change a lot of uh, frontiers for many industries. I think something like Codex, because it works so well, it has the potential to also change so this sort of future of design that we're saying, like code is everything, you know? Maybe code is just something a program does and, you know, design is everything, yeah. I see, that's, that's interesting. Like, so like the way to work around is like, once you find those uh, grasshopper or programming files, you do like fine tune the codex, uh, like model on top of it. The, but the thing yeah. is like codex oh. is exclusive. So like hugging phase has not, yeah. come up with an alternative for it yet so i'm waiting for that there is a small one there is a, a, a j on code but it's not as good yeah it's not as good uh yeah i mean that's another issue yeah the exclusivity but i i don't think it will work in smaller scale like i think it needs to be at that scale it's really it's kind of difficult problem in a way yeah there, there's also like this current movement i've seen more of more the, like no code uh, movement like in software engineering or like where people are developing mm. like startups uh since now like a lot of these tools can sort of be packaged and like companies just work on development like uh or like these new startups are now developing like no code platforms where like somebody can just hop in do what you got to do fast and develop like some sort of company around it and then maybe once you scale up then you can bring kind of like the more uh expert programmers to to your uh taste yeah yeah, that's, I think I like that. I mean, again, you need code, you need to understand it, right? You need to, to do anything today, right? Yeah. But I just feel that you, it's not, it shouldn't be a prerequisite to design. And, and I feel a lot of discussions around it, like I get that impression that, oh, it's a prerequisite if you want to be a designer. I don't, I don't know why, you know, uh, maybe, maybe, you know, maybe it's not, I don't know. Yeah. I see. And like one thing I noticed, like you are active in like a lot of communities and platform. Like I see your, you, know, you in Hugging Face and a lot of like ML communities. So can you share like, uh, how do you keep up with the trend? What other Twitter uh, profile you follow and yeah. communities you recommend? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, for papers, you just follow the AKs. That's easy. So you can find them like, I don't know, AK43901. I forget his, his, their handle. So there are a couple of Twitter. Like, of course, in Twitter, it, you just build it slowly. So after a while, I never used Twitter up to this year. So all my previous Twitter people were some from our industry, some like basketball and stuff. After a year, you know, the biggest part of the people I follow, they are like researchers. They've done cool papers. Then I click to follow, you know. That's all you need to do. But there are some people like AKI, for example, filters the thousands of papers that come out, right? So that's a good person to, like good people to follow. And again, when you see some work that you like, just find that researcher and follow them. That is really simple. Like Twitter is, is really simple like that. For communities, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I think yeah, LF3i is the, is the best. And they call it, L, in English, I guess it's Eleutheri-i. Okay, Eleutheria is like the Greek list thing because it because it actually means freedom, like freedom for AI, like it's, it's the Greek words for freedom, and they are really cool. And also TPU podcast and you know the Dali communities. There are a few, a few really cool. Like you need Discord. That's what I know. Uh, you definitely need Discord. This that's something I see. Like I don't know if. I don't know. I don't think it's very popular in our industry. And it's the same because Discord is amazing. Apart from the fact that it's free, completely free, open source, and it doesn't log anything from what, what you say, which is like the opposite of every other social you know, platform, right? Uh, it's also really cool. Like it works, it's efficient, you know, like all the stuff and all the cool communities are there. So I really highly recommend Discord and the ones I mentioned. They're really cool. Like I'm there... I'm a regular by now just because I'm there. It takes time, right? These communities, you know, I've tried to make one of my own and I'm not even regular the last few months, but it takes time because, you know, out of the 10,000 people, just like 50 are regulars, right? So you have to really want it. So you, when you find a community, you will click and see. So I have a few discords, you know, out of the 15 discords, like a couple I found. So it's the same, I think story for everyone just like find what you care and go into those communities and then be active like the first stuff i was asking of course i didn't know like i was trying but i still tried you know not everything is very beginner friendly discourse and stuff but i tried and mostly i i, I read i listened right and you learn so much in there like so much i'm 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 so much better now than i was a year before when i joined those discords I'm I'm still not nowhere here like AI researcher, but I'm much better, like you know, at a level where I can discuss, you know, and discourse, have a discourse about this. So yeah, L3I, TPU podcast, this kind of stuff. What else is there? Like even those two, if you are, is okay. The Dali, the Dali is really good. The Dali PyTorch thing. Mm, yeah, if you like generation, there is like novel AI, you know, like all this stuff, like. What else do I have? I can open my Discord. But yeah, get Discord and get like, you know, get in Discord anyway. Uh, yeah, there is an AlphaFold community, which is really amazing. Like, you know, I'm not a biologist. I'm, I'm in the AlphaFold Discord, right? I'm not a biologist. But still, I've learned so much in there because I can just ignore the stuff that are way over my, my head and just, you know, some ideas are like, you know. Uh, so yeah, just, just find the communities you want. So definitely, I recommend those, those communities. Yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, once I got on Twitter and used it for, like, kind of just to see what 
uh, interesting people are working on. Uh, and then you start following one and then they start posting some interesting things. And then you start seeing like kind of like cutting edge things in the field um, much more faster than they would get reported like to other uh, mediums. Yeah. Um, I found that that was like huge or at least like I noticed like over like the, the you know, like the last year or so, like people now kind of can go directly to Twitter and follow somebody like Act, and you're going to get kind of like some touch, not paper that like. It's, it's like one of the most, you know, it has some really impactful things uh, versus going through like archive or like, I mean, papers with code is also, is also kind of interesting uh, where they're kind of trying to build this whole platform. And then now they, you know, they have, uh, I guess like how you can test code, like from the papers and stuff like that, which I think is, is very interesting. Yeah. And then the other guy, uh, Lucid Reigns, like that guy is incredible. Lucid, yeah. Lucid yeah. is amazing, yeah. Yeah, uh, that that's the people you find when you start following. Like Lucid is amazing. Yeah, he's like yeah, yeah, the biggest asset in open source, I guess. Yeah, uh, but yeah, he like. But these are the people that you need to find. Yeah, uh, because they provide a lot of knowledge, like for free, right? And yeah, for sure. Like, unfortunately, like it's Twitter. Like, unfortunately, I mean, I I like LinkedIn. I'm quite active. I was quite active there. I'm a bit less now. Uh, but you know, LinkedIn is not is not for this stuff. It's a bit you know business uh, oriented. So unfortunately, my Twitter is like not as active, you know. But you know, slowly a bit. But that, that's where I think. Yeah, I agree. That's where you find like research. Uh, at least for AI, I think that's what it takes. Like a lot of like nice discussions, a lot of papers. I do archi archive or archive. I don't know how you. Say. Yeah, I do that uh, mostly. Uh, I guess, and through the AKs that I mentioned, like the couple of people that I don't know if people probably don't know them. Right? So let me let me let me do let me find the exact handle. Papers uh, with code does does do like a little a, a pretty good job also of like narrowing down topics where you can like hop in on a topic and yeah find yeah so so imagine there. imagine that but for state of the art for literally every day that's what AK is so you need to follow like yeah. for people that might be listening like the handle is AK nine two five zero one and and what he does is he literally filters everything that comes out and then you know post like good papers so that's what that's how we follow papers like the community most most people and also Aaron Aaron is the other AK so yeah they do they do the same uh, and then yeah I mean after a while like I have I have a folder right this is like a meme actually it's a very nice meme I have a folder I don't know I have now 29 29 the first layer has 29 folders right my literature right Maybe in total, I can search. I think I have like more than a thousand papers. I haven't read, I don't think I read more than 30, right? That's how it is. Like it's more papers you put to read, but slowly, even if you don't read them, like only abstracts, you create a knowledge base, you know? Yeah. And it's a knowledge base, you can retrieve stuff. So like, oh, this new idea, I saw it before. You go there. So, and of course, slowly I am reading them. But slowly, the most important thing is that you slowly hone in on what you care, right? Like right now, I'm still downloading interesting papers on all these categories, the 29 folders and subfolders, but I don't really care about all of them. I've honed in into what I really care. So, that, so that really that helps. That helps. And but to do that, you need to try. Like you need the effort. Like that's what I was saying to the people when I was presenting this stuff. My whole point about you know you have so much to offer to AI. To when talking to architects and designers, was to try to 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 push people to like 
just, just try. Like, it's okay. Like, if you don't understand anything, right? The first thing you read is fine. I didn't understand yeah. anything when I started. Literally, when I started doing machine learning, I didn't know how to code at all. Like, not, like the, the only thing I had seen was Hello World. And I started looking at TensorFlow 0.7. You know, like, it was, it was, it was madness. But it gets better. And, you know, again, you don't need to be, like, super developer, full stack, whatever. Like, the cool thing is that most people that I talk to, right, or maybe hear this stuff, they are already much better than I was there. So you're already, like, you know, five steps ahead than I was, right? So the other the other wall to climb is, like, to, to break is, like, this, yeah, but what do I know about this? Like, no, you know so much, you know, your domain. Like, find the domain that you care about, and you know. So, like, you know... None of the people inside this discourse, like very few, know anything about like what what is CFD. I don't know, daylight. You know, you know all the stuff that you might know or I might know. So like, yeah. So through this effort, it does need effort. It, it's a daily thing, right? This is it. You find the stuff you care about, and then you do. Of course, it's not for everyone, like because I've been quite lucky to like have time to research and all this stuff. I think a bit with the remote life, okay, we don't have a life anymore, but there was more time to, to research. You know, if you are like, you know, have a lot, you know, office work and stuff, it gets harder, but that's why it's more important to do it then, I think, because you will find, you need to find a way, people need to find a way to bring it to the work, right? And to bring it, you need to show something. Like when I started, I had to show something as well. I was working like... So, but so like, that's why it's important, like a small win, like something simple, you know, like, look, I took this model and I created it and now we can have like, you know, bounding boxes in these images. And it's really cool because maybe it helps like small wins and then you get more time, more time, more, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's how we started. Again, I drifted very far away, Twitter, Discord, all these people follow and read papers. I, this sounds very weird, like the last thing. Uh, when I present to people, right, and even when I talk like a bit more professional, let's say, everyone like hears like research or whatever, like, oh, research, okay, like it, it's done. Like the minute you say research is done, it's like the curtain is down. This guy is a researcher, you know, like why, why do I talk like here we want to do actual stuff, like practice, right? And it's really important to like completely delete all this. Like there is nothing like... Oh, what we are seeing now is like everything like being created as we like right now we are watching it being created. So this research is practice and practice is research. Like it's not like it's it's not different, right? So reading papers might be the best thing to do for your work right now. Like literally reading these papers, you know, like I'm trying to convince people it's very hard. Like even if I, I start my whole presentation with like I think four slides about this, like the dichotomy about research and practice and please and don't take it like that. I don't think it's very hard to break through, but promise me it's like that. I promise you it's like that. Like the papers like might be the best thing to read about your actual work. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah, I see. So I, I am aware that it's it's a bit late at night at your place. So to be conscious of the time, I'll ask like few questions to sure. before we end the interview. So since we are in uh, on the topic of uh, research and practice, I'm, I'm very curious to know your thoughts. Like, what are the gaps you find in research and practice in AAC? And like, for me, like we saw style gain model on like organ models on flow plan, but like in practice a tool, like we haven't seen at that level and like scalability or robustness. So like, how do we change this? Yeah. So, I mean, 
again, there are a few issues here that are not are not new to the to our industry. They are, they are everywhere. The first issue, and I don't like to repeat it, but the first issue is this thing that you know we overpromise, we sort of use the terms without them being there. That's very bad. I want to repeat that it's very bad because it really ruins everything for the for everyone else, right? Uh, so, like, if I if I say architects is AI, you know, wow, look, it creates this crazy stuff all with AI. If there's if there's no AI behind it, I literally jeopardize everyone else that is researching AI because people say, oh, I opened it, it was nothing. All this stuff is a lie. So the first thing that we need to make sure, like, you know, and that's why we need to start small, you know, instead of saying, you know, oh, all these tools that I'm making, all my startup is AI. You know, okay, maybe not. Maybe not everything you do is AI, but maybe this very small problem in the scope of problems, you're using machine learning to solve it. So we start small, right? Smaller. And the other thing that we do is we need to intersect with other fields. That's hard because other fields, you know, they, they have better rewards than us. But, um, and yeah, and then start like, you know, just being up to date with the, with, the, with the research and try to find these connections. Like for example, Clipboard, right? Why should I be like, I want more people to be like everywhere saying, you know, wow, Clipboard, this is amazing. We should do robot fabrication with it. But I think people should already be thinking about this, even from the first day they see it. But we are, and this is something a friend sent, said from this Discord community. It's really amazing, I think, inside. We are at a point right now with these models that we are in this sort of uncanny valley where these models are so good, you know, they are hard to believe. And in fact, no one believes them, right? So because of that, I feel even research and practice is hurt. Obviously, practice because no one is investing in it, right? No, this is very far away, 10 years away and all this nonsense. And research because people won't take the, the you know, the decision to go research it because, you know, like this is, I, it has to be a lie, you know, it cannot be. Like, how can you like prompt this and suddenly give you, you know, all this, all these good results it cannot be like that creates all this stuff. How can I give it an... How can I give GPT-3 an English sentence and then translate this, you know, and it gives me friends, you know, like, how can it be? It has to be like, so we are at this point where these models are, you know, they are kind of valid in the sense they are really too good to be true and people don't really know too much about it because they are very new. So there is hesitancy in research. Thankfully, there is now like a lot of people, you know, you know, PhD positions, research. So now it's important to guide that research. Like, what do you want it to do? And for practice, the problems are different. Like, I think that the, the, the important thing for practice is, again, to not overpromise. And when you go to start with the low-hanging fruits, and there are a lot of low-hanging fruits, right? Architects is not a low-hanging fruit, right? I, 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 architects, I made architects work in like maybe a month after four years of, of stuff though. Like, of course it took like a month to sort of, oh, look, it works. And of course, because others pe other people have done like so much work on these models for a decade. And because I've done like four, so, but the, the, there are much easier things before that, right? And so I think in practice, we need to start like that. We need to go like for people that are taking these decisions, right? They need to sit down and say, okay, what are our problems, right? Ask the designers, the engineers. Okay, what's your problem? What would you like to do, right? Doesn't need to be always AI, I repeat, right? But the, the places where, you know, some machine learning or deep learning model can help, then select those low-hanging fruits, right? And do it. 
And the only thing that needs awareness now is that these low-hanging fruits, they have really changed hype right now, right? That's the only thing that people, again, because of the uncanny valley we are in, they can't see that the low, the low-hanging fruit is also actually generating something with language. You know, it might be low-hanging fruit. But still, start from lower, you know, like prediction, for example, is is something that you could do, right? Some something predictive. Why not? Like so many people have done. So so that's what I would do. And then the final part about practice, what I see, I think this is very personal uh, comment that I will make, is that like I'm not sure. Like the, the the young designers that I see and like, you know, engineers, designers, they are fully ready, right? They are, you know, like all of you, like, you know, they are doing, you know, in their free time, clip, art generate, you know, they're ready. They're playing with these things, you know, they don't know what to do maybe, or they do, doesn't matter. They play around with these things, but there is a lot, a big part of the industry that is not ready. And maybe it doesn't want to be ready and that's okay. It doesn't have to be, but, it needs, but as long as like a lot of people are in the, the place, you know, in the positions that technology innovation is guided from, right? If that position, that person is not committed to this, right? It's going to be hard in a way. So that transition is happening, but it's happening slower. And I think the cool thing about this transition is that it doesn't matter if like companies do it, for example, it doesn't matter because if they don't do it, other smaller companies or like, you know, maybe the two of you or whatever will disrupt them, you know? So so that's the cool thing that this transition will happen anyways. You know, I'm just sitting here watching it. Like in a way I can see it happening. It would just be much better, you know, if the biggest biggest actors in the field would, would be more proactive in a way. But I can understand, you know, again, there's a lot to win and a lot to lose, right? That's why I'm saying, so to convince, to push them there, show them low hanging fruits in a way. Don't overpromise, right? Don't fail because if the project fails, like done is the first impression, right? Oh, okay, that was so silly, let's not do it again. So yeah, I don't know. That's my my practical advice for practice. For research, I think research is going well. I think a lot of programs, you know, like a lot of people funding, so I think that's okay. Yeah, like, go ahead. Oh, no, sorry, I just wanted to say, like, he kind of makes a good point. Like, if you, if you think about it, like, uh, let's say bigger scale companies, they might be a little bit more resistant to testing out some of these new uh, products or techs. Uh, and the reason is, like, they already have, like, a system in place, like, that's established, and it works for them and older people or management or uh, executives. They're like, well, if this doesn't increase productivity or uh, revenue, then it's like what we're doing should be fine. Um, so that's where I think like smaller like scale companies or like startups, they might have like some leeway in that they can probably adopt this. And since they're starting from zero, they can probably um, take more risks. So, yeah, just want to I should say that I don't think the executives have any problem with AI at all. You just need to show them that there is value. That's what I was trying to say. Right? So that's yeah. why you start like not over promising, like make a project. Have a have a win like here. We did this. We saved you know this much time or whatever. I would start by saving. It's not my vision of AI in design to do things more efficient, but you should start like that. So if you show them here, we did things more efficient. Can I do my next project on to do things new in a new way? You know, maybe they say yes, right? So yeah, I don't think they're against, but I, like you said, you know that you need to show show the value, and yeah. even more importantly, don't show don't. You know, so a failure in a way, like don't promise like the sky in a way, right? 
and no work. So yeah, I do think that that level should be okay. I mean, it's mostly between us to 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 commit to it. You know? Yeah, like I, to your point, I feel like uh, the the skill which uh, uh, we might need is like the young uh, AC tech professionals who are playing in this domain about like quick prototyping skills and domain customization of like for those low hanging fruits that they can try out different fruits and you do, out of 10 fruits, maybe the, the industry is interested in one fruit and that can blow up. So Another good point, I just because you say that a lot of, I, I feel that many people feel excluded a bit with the AI, right? Because like, you know, I don't know anything about it. Maybe I'm too far ahead in my career to actually have time to do it. Like maybe I'm managing stuff, right? You know, or like, you know, mid-level, it doesn't matter. So like maybe people feel excluded. And my whole point about domain matters and my whole point about these AI applications are not going to be about the AI necessarily, but about, you know, how you can play with your data, feed in all this stuff. That means that the people with experience actually are the people that can lead this, right? So that's what I'm trying to, to communicate to, to the industry in the way that, that the people that might feel excluded because, you know, I'm not young enough to do a PhD and do all this stuff. I don't know, you know, actually have the best knowledge because just coding a deep learning model, it, it's not going to do anything. I can take it off the shelf. It's not the important thing. But actually like knowing this domain, like this, this specific thing, design task really well, then you can guide. You can you can create yeah so that's my other point that don't feel excluded you're you're probably the most important person i see yeah, yeah. i wanted to add something to that because it, it it's sort of like you can now pull the deep learning models from online right that's like kind of the easy part the hardest part is the data <laughs> I, I like i worked on like some several projects but it seems that it's usually coming up with the data and what to do with the data and how to like structure it so you can build like a pipeline to make some sort of like either like a small product uh, that kind of uh, works what you wanted to do. And, and I think that combination with like expert knowledge, it's one of the things that you can develop like a quick prototype. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And I also feel like, uh, like we need uh, people from all background because maybe like there's some set of people who are good in like coding and that skills, but those experienced people know the problem space better. We might know like some execution and solution space, but we need like maximum overlap. Yeah. 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 yeah of course. Those are very difficult problems. Yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, one question I have is like, can you walk us through like, how do you uh, go about uh, doing like a, state-of-the-art model like DALI? Like, how do you start to implementation? Do you do research paper, watch YouTube videos? Like, I just want to know oh, the whole process. How I started that. I mean, first, I guess I read the paper and like the blogs. That doesn't help so much the first time. It's just like to, to see what's going on. And then the community. I mean, inside Discord, I, I didn't develop the code, right? Lucid Reigns developed the, the code because OpenAI never open sourced the code. I was just there like watching it happen every single day. And I, and I was one of the many like testing it. So we had like, we all of us had some data, some people used like Imagine, whatever. I used my own data and we were all sort of testing and giving feedback, you know, yeah, this works so well, this is, this is good, this is bad, you know? So that's, that's how I went through to get like 
you know, how is state of the art? It's just a good architecture daily by being there while it's so it's really about like daily being there. So like you can't really do it if you just say, okay, I just do a couple of tests and see like it needs to be something that you really integrate into, like you put a goal, right? So and then after the discussion and stuff, you you start become more comfortable and with the code, even though I think that's the last part, at least for now, if you if you are starting. But more importantly, with the with the, the intuition behind the model, like why does it work, you know? Uh, well, how can I change it? You know, like for example, I, I would have never went from Dali to Architects if I hadn't understood what Dali does exactly, you know? Like so, after I understood, I was like, okay, so I have these pieces. What if I take this piece out? You know, so so this is important. But it happens through, I think, through the Discord for me, it happened, and through experimentation. It's really important to experiment for sure. So I had like a lot of tests. I think mostly because of my data, but also because of the early code, right? But you, so you need these iterations in a way, always. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you wanted like code walkthrough or something like that. The code is, is very simple. Like if you go to the, I mean, to use it, right? You just give it a folder, you know, like the, like the code is super simple. There's just a folder with image text, you know, and you, you press the command and it works. But, and you could do it and it will work. And if you give it very clean data, you will have a nice DALI. I think my intuition is that if you give it very clean data, Okay, you need also a VQ gun and stuff. Okay, but you can do it, what I did, like in very narrow domain. But it's better if you sort of understand it a bit, what, what it does. Once you do that, you can start changing it. Yeah. I see. And I feel like you have some incredible ideas. So I'm, I'm curious, like, are you open for collaboration? Because like, uh, there might be people who are interested in those ideas and want to develop and code together or something. So yeah, for actual like for actual work, I, if I said if I said yes, it would be very responsible of, of me because like the time is like is like out to here, mostly because of of like I I already opened too many too many things in my mind. Oh, right? uh, but for like you know like discussing ideas and projects like you know how to and is this good? I'm I'm always up for this sort of discussions like this. And yeah, if, if there is something I can actually help, you know, like I can, I know I can do efficiently, like, let me do it for, you know, let me do it for you. And I said, yeah, I, for sure I can do that. But I think it's more, I, I would be way more helpful if I just sort of, you know, discuss an idea. Yeah, maybe you look there, you take this, you do this, you know, I can, I can sort of guide in the things I've learned so far, if someone is interested, for sure. But actually doing a project, it, Yes and no, like, I don't know, it depends on the, on the time and if it's something that, because the other very important thing, and know everyone knows this, is that you need to select what you care about, right? It, it cannot be anything, it cannot be MNIST, you know, like, or it needs to be, so, yeah, so, that, so yeah, for sure. So I reach out and I can discuss ideas and things, I can give any guidance if I have, I can even do better and send to other people who actually, you know, might have even better guidance, all this stuff I'm, I'm open to. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Like, thanks for being, like, for mentoring us. Yeah. Hey, Theo. I'm, uh, just... I'm barely passing knowledge that I had uh, elsewhere. I don't know if, if that's mentoring, but if it is, it's good. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
Sorry. I just had a quick question. Like, um, because we talked a lot about like uh, more like architecture related stuff, but what about um, in the urban like design domain or urban planning? Um, do you see? Have you seen any applicability of these types of models, or is there like some sort of work that you're interested in? Yeah, definitely. You can do urban design. Like, you can do urban text or whatever. You know, if you want to take the name, you can. You can do that. Yeah. For example, it's just this. It's the same thing, right? What's the difference of a layout? Like again. A layout in a, in a neighborhood is vastly different in terms of like, you know, architectural design, right? But in terms of language, they're not. Again, this is the, the beauty of language is that you can describe things very efficiently. Very, there is very rich, diverse. And be, so like they're not. You can do the same thing for urban design. I don't know how it will come out. Maybe it will come out wild. And there are tricks you can also do to make it a bit more abstract. So, so the thing we, one thing we didn't discuss in this stuff is that there is a, you know, a, a level of abstractness, you know, very little to very high, you know, like, and you can play around with that. And, you know, the more abstract you are, maybe it's easier to generate things. So, but for sure, you can do this, all this stuff for urban design as well. Even Dali, you can do urban design for sure. Um, and it has a place. Uh, and it has a place. I mean, I wouldn't do, you know, Usually my experiments for urban design is like make this neighborhood, which is not realistic. And okay, where I am actually they make neighborhoods, but usually you don't make like that, the whole city. But you could do like, you know, similar like architects for a master plan very easily uh, or for a site. For a site, not so much because how many buildings are in a site? Okay, maybe you do like three buildings. Like for a site, you can do a parametric model, right? It's, it's not very difficult. But if you have like a small master plan, then you can do, right? Because there are a lot of interesting semantics that go in there. Uh, and also there are a lot of layers you can sort of add. Like maybe you do first like, you know, building layer, then you do like landscape layer, like all this stuff. So yeah, it's definitely a possibility. It's something I haven't done yet, but it would fit very well with infrared, which as I said, is an urban, urban perform performance design tool in real time. So if you had, a generator and actually something we are we are working like ideally we should be we are working in the future to have so a good generator to link to infrared so i think yeah it has potential yeah urban design yeah uh, but anything I'm, sorry but think of it anything like urban layout you know like i don't know facade like i don't know a panel you know like it, it can be anything sorry yeah yeah no problem yeah i was about to say like i'm yet to see like some ML model develop on top of multimodal data from like websites like Arch Daily, where they're like detailed uh, info, like description. I think that's a rich, rich resource which we haven't exploited yet. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of metadata. Yeah, we have a lot of cool stuff. And even Clip, like, I mean, the images, I don't want to abandon the images. I think Clip has a place. It's just that I think you need to have both in a way. Now you can't just have only images, I feel. You can only have just only language or text. So you need to have both, like multimodality. So I hope to go towards it. Like there was a very nice paper by, I mean, it's Hinton is in the team, but it's, it's not by him, right? But, but I think from his students or like PhDs, like the pix to sec I don't know if you saw like, that was, that was really nice. Like in the sense, it's sort of the inverse of what the architects does in a way like, it takes an image and it creates bounding boxes. So, so again, it finds bounding boxes of things from an image 
And instead of doing convolution, it just does text, right? It's really, it's really cool language again. But I could see that as a connection. Like you can go from language to design and the design you can use like a bunch of software to visualize it, right? And you can use, and because you, if you make an image of that design, because your annotation is perfect to that image, you can train a model to do the reverse after. And then you can take that model in the wild and say, okay, what about this? You know, like, and you know, that might be interesting if you want to like, I don't know, crawl, you know, websites and you know, all these PDF layouts and stuff, right? So, yeah, I think there is a lot of potential in, in sort of like interrelating the, the two. Uh, so I don't abandon images. It's just that initially, yeah, it's not it's not so helpful initially. You need to avoid them a bit, yeah. Listen, I like, I'm just like uh, exploding with ideas because like you mentioned about that, I thought it might be interesting that you have this a text to uh, design model, but if we like make a workflow where you get the output and then using let's say like pics to sec and some human manipulation you 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 get a text again back from that uh, given output and then you can compare like input text versus text generated and maybe like mm. do some cosine similarity and like iteratively training to get like better yeah. output yeah exactly yeah yeah you can train the reverse i think it's good the inverse i would say not the reverse. Yeah, there's a lot of things and 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 then it, it it depends on what you on the tasks right like maybe that's an interesting ai paper but not very interesting design task but it could be so like it depends like i can't think of all the tasks i can think of very few tasks because i'm i i'm still like developing this stuff but i hope others will come up with with tasks uh, because that's the important even even the ai research i should say it's all about tasks and also losses lately, but losses we don't need to do, like it's very mathematical, some other people can do. But the other part, I think the most people focus is task, multitask learning, what kind of tasks, you know. And these tasks are like, for example, right, the the, the most standard task in, in, in the mask models, mask learning, learning model. You have a sentence, right, and you mask, you literally take away one of the words and you put mask in its place, right? And the model learns to, to find the word, right? It's very simple. And you can do that randomly. This word now, this word now, right? So how can you do that in design? Very easily. You have a design and you mask one space out of it, okay? And then you train the model to find out what that space was, right? Or you have a geometry and you mask some part of it out of it. And you want the model to complete it. So you can create like architectural tasks to train deep learning models. You know what I mean, like design tasks. So all this stuff are really cool, I feel. And again, the the people, you don't need, you know, to know, like, you know, AI or all these tasks to do it. Yeah. I see. And the language is particularly interesting because like their domain space is quite like less compared to like image space. Like they have like, there's a set amount of words. so you know, like you could predict. Actually, I think it's richer. The language is richer. Yeah. I mean, apart from the infinite almost combinations is richer because like images have a lot of pixels, but not all pixels matter. That's why convolution works. So like there is a lot of correlation while I think in language there's more diversity. I don't know. It's not really my field, but I would say language is harder. Like if you see the scaling loss paper, the one that tries to see, you know, 
how how down can we go they haven't reached like the lowest loss but how low language it's still like the highest of the losses i think image is like 0.5 or 0.1 language is 1.2 so it's, it's a bit harder domain richer uh, but yeah it depends i guess what you do in your task too like maybe for example in a task like layouts i don't know actually if you don't have any details maybe they are equally not very rich perhaps because it's like a small domain like changing stuff if you put like you know textures and materials and stuff then the visual becomes more rich because you have like you know a two-bedroom house where and then it's like you know with different textures different materials you know but it's the same annotation so it depends on your on your domain i think but generally language should be a bit richer yeah i see and uh, is there anything which we didn't discuss uh, in this uh, interview you would like to share your thoughts so yeah the last thing is that i would ask people to check architects so now uh, thankfully with and we i think i think i will post this like early this week thankfully like uh Hagi face was very good to provide like to link like a, a gpu on the space like it's still in beta the spaces but it's really cool and you can people can try it out on the site so the site is quite easy i think it's architects.design and it's quite fast like for me it takes a couple of seconds to create something so what i would ask is like please let me know how it how it is from the designer's point of view and also like maybe you know let me know the types of prompts like i really like seeing like screenshots like people you know a friend of mine like screenshot look this 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 didn't work and he had like you know what did he would like a very large villa or something like like people really like prompted with completely out of my distribution so i want to see what what types of prompts they want to build you know that's that's quite interesting uh like yeah so yeah if if that that would be nice yeah feedback in a way yeah so here in the top there is a generate layouts and that should be quite fast there is like some guidance in the bottom i believe like how to what to do like you know these are sort of like labels and stuff uh, but I, I don't care just like put anything like i really want to i would really want to see failure mo modes like look i put this you know large villa with a courtyard and it didn't give me anything of course it will, it will never give a courtyard there is not in the data right but I, I those failure cases are interesting i think yeah and also like i think gradio has this option of flagging it so also you could keep track of all the mm. uh, weird like layouts which didn't align yeah so but but i would say that this current model is quite good like if you if you stay close to the semantics like the boring semantics i have right now uh, it works really good like it's really yeah it's really surprisingly good in a way yeah so that would be nice yeah i i love this like this is an amazing uh development and i uh, i know like you mentioned briefly that your next plan is to like add more performance based uh op functionality and like making it into a product so that's uh, yeah. interesting yeah. i mean we will see i mean for now like is important to like again start simple right so for now is important i i just want to make it to a demo and I want people to use it everywhere and, and see, you know, what's missing, what needs to like all this stuff. Because again, it's both research and practice. So this feedback is important to see like which direction 
should these models take, these tasks and all this stuff, and also like how can it be useful, yeah. So that would be cool, yeah. If people can let me know anywhere, yeah, it would be nice. Or just post it somewhere, yeah. Awesome. So my last question of this interview is like, what is some, uh, what are some things you recommend for people who want to like learn more about developing this kind of tools? And I mean, in the sense of conference, books, uh, mm. webinars. Okay. Yeah. Conference is a good one. Like, of course you need to work on it, right? Like you need to put time on it. The cool thing about one of the one of the things that is really nice during lockdown and remote is that the conferences are very cheap. So, for example, I just registered for, for NeurIPS the other week, and I believe I paid. Is a student was it like forty dollars? I forget. Like ridiculously cheap. The, like for me, it would have been like ten thousand dollars. You know, if it's like I had to go there, and anyways, I would never get tickets, right? So, I highly recommend like follow the big conferences. Even this $40 is enough. Even if you go like a couple of days and you see like a couple of talks is enough because you get, you will get access after, but being there is nice. Maybe it inspires, right? So the conferences are cool, like all the ICML or NeurIPS, all these AI conferences. And books, not so much. I mean, there are some books about general, you know, AI and stuff. That's what I would read. And then... And then papers. And the most important, I think, is the, the communities. Just join a community. You can lurk. It's okay. You don't need to, like, not everyone, you know, talks as much as I do in a way. But that's okay because, you know, maybe people just do stuff better, you know. So you can lurk in the communities and you will learn a lot, a lot. And, yeah. And then read some papers, find the, the thing that you care about in a way. And like one thing I feel very bad is like some of like this machine learning conferences like are very cheap. Like even like the top ones are like hundred bucks or around there. And some of the AC and like BIM or AC AI conference like thousand dollars or two thousand dollars and like okay, <laughs> what are we charging for? And those yeah. were some of them were online, so I'm not sure how much logistics cost. Uh, it's no, that was that, that's not a that's not a good good view in a way of them, you know. Like yeah, but yeah, I mean maybe it's economies of scale. I don't know. Like, but in any case, yeah, go to NeurIPS like virtually because if you're a student, I think it's not even hundred. I think it's like forty or fifty. You know, I think it's it's totally worth it in a way, especially if you just say for three days and just stay here and I watch all of these things because like in NeurIPS, like especially the spotlight and the you know, like the big keynotes, those are inspiring things. Like that's where you, I think you, people might find like, you know, hi, this sounds nice. You know, I want to follow it. So that that's totally worth it. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Theodore, for like being so honest and like sharing all of your knowledge with us. It was an amazing discourse. I learned a lot. No Thank you for having me. It was great. Yeah. And I hope yeah the audience enjoyed it. Yeah. We Thank need you. another one. <laughs> <laughs> maybe after. Uh, yeah. After after I have maybe some something new to add in a way, it would be <laughs> nice. Uh, but yeah, we should do it again. Yeah, some like part two of Ar Archie test or urban text when that model yeah. comes out. <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah. Hopefully. Okay. Thank you.